1: momming today with Reshma Sajani, founder of Girls Who Code and the Marshall Plan for Moms as a way to get employers to listen to what mom needs to get mom back at work. Welcome, Reshma. Thanks for having me. So what exactly is the Marshall Plan for Moms?
0: So the Marshall Plan for Moms is a 360 plan uh, to shorten the economic recovery for mothers. So we've lost over 3 million women from the labor force. And that has happened for three major reasons. So when you know when COVID nineteen hit, before COVID nineteen hit, women were fifty one percent of the labor force, and then all of a sudden, in last December, you started seeing this the largest exodus of women from the labor force that this country has ever seen, and our participation rate for, in nine months, you know, went to where it was in nineteen eighty nine. Wow! And when you ask moms why they were leaving, one you know, we didn't have affordable childcare. So when the schools shut down, you know, daycare centers were also shut down. You know, your grandparents couldn't come into your apartment. Like you had no other, I guess, resource other than yourself. And so moms were forced to shorten their hours, you know, go on the third shift, move in with their parents, move into their car, right? Because they simply could not homeschool their children and work. The second thing that, you know, is deeply problematic is the United States is one of the few nations that doesn't offer paid leave, right? And paid leave is critical for moms, you know, who are working. How long should paid leave be? Oh, gosh. Well, in some Norwegian countries, paid leave is, you know, 24 months. Uh, You know, I think it's it needs to be long enough for moms to be able to recover, you know, after they've had a child. You know, so we and in in addition to that, it shouldn't just be for moms; it should be for dads too. And
1: dads should be forced to take it, 100%. take your paternity leave, and I'll let you explain why.
0: Well, because so I, you know, I have two kids, and my husband and I have been thinking about this. You know, before we had kids, we had gender equity in the home, right? And when we when I had my first child, you know, I took my maternity leave; he didn't, and so all of a sudden, that ratio of who was doing what dramatically shifted. And I found myself doing 80% of work at home and running the largest women and girls organization in the world. And so when you don't have that moment, when you have a child to kind of figure it out, right? Who's changing the diapers, who's buying the groceries, who's loading the dishwasher. You don't have, you know, you don't get to figure out that equality equation at home. It's never gonna happen later in life. And so when you're building in the fact that dads should also do care work, and I think they want to, And you're setting that at the beginning of when you have a child. I think that that sets us up for equality perpetually. And because we haven't done that, like 70% of American dads take less than 10 days off of work once they have a child. And so, you know, we have all these companies who like want the dad who teaches little league. But when you say that you're actually going to take your full leave, you know, they're ostracized at work. So they don't take it. And, you know, that is deeply problematic. And so that is something like I think culturally we have to shift, you know, in in private sector companies. So you're literally mandating leave for men and it's tied to your performance.
1: And I don't think any father is going to push back against that because, like you said, they want to spend time with their kids and they get to. And you know what a lot of people do, especially for companies that do give generous leaves for both, you know, for, for parental reasons, for moms and dads? A lot of um, those dads schedule it so mom can return to work and they can just, you know, help out a little bit longer at home um, preparing for the event when both parents are working and out of the house.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you need to give families that flexibility to to be able to do that and to be able to kind of figure it out amongst themselves how this is going to work. So with the
1: pandemic and with I mean, you just did your latest survey, and these numbers were really eye-popping. 2.3 million moms left the workplace during COVID, erasing 30 years of progress, and a quarter of those remaining moms are considering leaving or scaling back their jobs to better help at home. I mean, the numbers are just – Mind blowing. And then you hear from companies saying, well, there's a labor shortage. We can't find workers that we need. Circle the square for me. How do you get those moms, those highly qualified workers back in the workplace? Shouldn't companies be listening right now?
0: They have to be listening because, quite frankly, they need our innovation and they're not going to be able to survive without us. And I think moms have leverage right now. It's just we're so used to being martyrs and not asking for things, right? You know, pumping in closets, right? That we we don't we are at a moment where we we need and so we need things. And you know, it's what do we need? So, you know, we talk about this in our play, but the first thing we need is is flexibility and control over our schedules. What does
1: that conversation sound like with your boss though? Like how, how do you have that conversation? How do you lead with motherhood?
0: I think you basically say, "When listen, I, you know, whatever that is for you, I need to leave, you know, thir- you know, I need to leave Thursday at three to pick up my kid and I will be back online, you know, I, or I need to work from home on Fridays. But we need to just recognize that, especially in this moment, nothing has changed. You know, we have a Delta variant happening. We're still not, I'm not certain about what's happening with my public school in the fall. You know, we still have a shortage of daycare workers. You know, even if your kids are in summer camp right now, like the hours are just all over the place, nothing has changed. But our employers are expecting us to return back to normal. And there is no normal right now. And so having that sense of flexibility, I mean, I I saw a survey, uh, uh, a report that said 39% of women, if they had flexibility and control over their schedules, would return back to work or they wouldn't cut their hours and they wouldn't go part time. So the data is so clear. And the moms that we surveyed with this report that we did with APCO Impact basically said that this is what this is like the number one thing we need. We need control over our schedules. And listen, it's not a one size fits all test. Right. I think you should be able to go to your employer and say, maybe some moms need two days. Maybe some moms need one day. Maybe some moms need school hours. Whatever that is for you. We just can't keep making moms choose between having a kid and having a job.
1: And that is the constant conversation. And I don't I just don't understand why it's not the same for dads. It just it isn't. Um, I see it in my own my own household. You know, I I. Mom is the one who cuts all the corners and and jumps through all the hoops to make things happen both at work and at home.
0: Well, and it's it's because it's so deeply cultural. Like we I talk about this in my house with my husband about space. Like who gets the best computer or who gets the closed door, right? Who get who's who's not being interrupted by, you know, your kids being like, "Can I have a chocolate muffin?" Damn. Right. And I'll be sitting here doing an interview, you know, on Fox, right, while I have three kids running in the background.
1: Wait, do you really have three kids running in the background now?
0: (laughs) Yeah, because I have my six year old, my, you know, 16 month old. Tell them to say hi. (laughs) <laughs> oh not right now because i've locked the door <laughs> i got the room i got the room <laughs> okay good job good job <laughs> right? i got the room today but it's it, it is true like we are always accommodating and expected to accommodate because we
1: can i'm just really good at multitasking i kid like i am so good at pressing mute on my phone when i need to on a conference call and just like doing a million things should we mess up more
0: I think we have to basically say no, because here's the thing. We're not getting promotions for it. There is a motherhood penalty and a fatherhood premium. Ugh. Dads get paid more for being dads. Whereas for us, I mean, the amount of emails I have in my inbox from moms who are getting gaslit, right, because their kid interrupted them on the Zoom screen is 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 crazy. Even before the pandemic, I remember I was interviewing, I went to go speak at the CIA, And uh, this mom had just had a baby and she was the one who organized the CIA's holiday party. And that year she was like, I'm not doing it, right, because she just couldn't. And she was like, you know, and I didn't get promoted that year. and I couldn't prove it, but I knew it was because I didn't organize the party. It's not just the unpaid labor at home. It's all the stuff that we do at work. Two, that's not valued and that's not compensated. And we are judged more harshly for it. There is a penalty for it. When our kids interrupt our Zoom meetings, we seem like we're not focused. When we say that we have to leave because we have to pick up our kids from school, we're not focused. We're not committed. We're not valued. But when when you have dad and you have kids, you know, my, my husband will sit there with you know my son on his lap and people will be, oh, Nahal, you're such a wonderful father. He's rewarded for it. It's not there, And I just think it's society and we have got to, and this is one of the things we talk about in the report, but there are really, there are real ways for kind of rooting out that bias. And, you know, I think it really begins with employers saying, all right, moms, we need you back.
1: What do you Because moms multitask. Moms are great with deadlines. Moms always have a lot going on that they kind of just, like I'm seven personalities in a given day. And what I mean by that is I know how to get down to my kids' level and negotiate. I negotiate all day with them to get them to behave well. I know, you know, I, I kind of know how to, okay, so-and-so can do this. while well, you do this. And mom has 15 free minutes. Do you know what I can do in 15 minutes? I can move a mountain in 15 minutes. Like we're just really good at conceptualizing, being creative, and just making it happen.
0: Yeah, but and here's the thing. You no, know, when we talk about this in the report, it's like the number three thing It's we have to prioritize mom's mental health because let's be real. It's exhausting. That's what why mom's drink. <laughs> it's why we drink. Totally. And because you get nothing for you. And I think that now it's really taking a toll on us. I, I, I joke about this. It's not funny, though, but I think for a lot of us, I you know, like we thought this was going to be the summer of fun. Right. We're vaccinated. We, you know, Our kids are kind of in something. But no, because I'm still doing laundry in between meetings. You know, I'm still responsible for all of the cognitive labor that happens in my home. And I'm working full time. Right. So it's and I'm exhausted. And and I think we've reached this breaking point. And so like having a company that values your well-being and, you know, prioritize mom's mental health is critical.
1: But put that in like real life action or real life policy. How do companies do that?
0: I think you normalize paid time off. You know, I don't think you you basically have the situation where you only have a set of days, you know, and that if you need more time, you know, we're not going to we're not going to pay you for it. I think we have to we have to basically acknowledge that that moms do more, that people are doing more, that. We just had a global health crisis. Hello. So more. Right.
1: Yeah. So so just I'm um, just, you know, more you get more vacation days, personal days allotted. Yeah. to OK. And, and what's a good number? How, how many days should
0: people get? I mean, I don't think we're going to. Uh, we haven't set out an exact number. I think it. I think it depends in what company. I mean, I also don't want to. I. I don't want to not say that this stuff doesn't cost something. So whether you're a small business or a big business, I think you have to figure out what works for you. So uh, you know, small businesses. Go ahead. I'm uh, sorry. Don't pay time off, right? Because they don't have paid time off.
1: Who do, I'm sorry, can you just repeat that? Who doesn't have pay time off?
0: No, I was saying so many moms, if they're not feeling well or they're just need a day, they don't take it off because they don't have pay time. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, and you know I'm I'm talking from I, I work for a big comp a big company. We get a lot of perks, but I, I know that's rare. Most employees work for small businesses in this country, and small businesses just don't have that ability, the finances to to provide all these things that parents might be needing. So how do you get small businesses on board here?
0: Look, I mean, for example, when we talked about um, control over your schedule, right? When it comes to white collar workers, that's really about flexibility, right? And when it comes for wage workers, it's about knowing in advance what's going to happen with your schedule or if your shift changed. So, you know, if you're a retail worker and you were supposed to show up at work on, you know, Monday at three to seven, and you know, you've now organized and paid for childcare and you show up and guess what? Your shift is canceled, you're not compensated for that. Yeah. And so I think it's like employers recognizing that what are some practices that they can put into place like that, which doesn't cost a lot, but just values what's happening for wage workers and that knowing their schedule in advance, you know, is important and mm-hmm. not changing it.
1: Hold that thought. More moming after this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating, Alda. The- Um, I'm going through the 10 tips, the playbook, if you will, that you say employers need to make the workplace finally work for working moms. And number five is close the gender pay gap and pay all moms a living wage. Um, So (laughs) what is a living wage?
0: Well, I mean, I think what we're arguing for right now is at least a minimum of 15, right, in in the country. I think that's a conversation that we're having. But I think the thing is, is that you know, my parents came to this country as refugees, and my dad couldn't afford the $50 a week for childcare. And so when I was my son's age, I was a latchkey kid. You know, my dad put a key around my neck, and I had to walk the 20 blocks from my school to home and let myself in. And the thing is, is that because moms often are not paid a living wage and childcare is so expensive, we just force parents every day to make unconscionable choices. And so we just have to recognize that this is just no longer, it's never been, quite frankly, tenable. Yeah.
1: In, in, the, in the women that you speak to, um, especially, you know, in the past year, what are some of the, the stories that really stand out to you? The, the, the trials and tribulations, the tough decisions that mothers have had to make, what, what stands out in your head?
0: I mean, it's, and it's, I'm so glad you asked me that because I feel like so many, we we share the numbers, but we don't talk about the women and what happened to them and what they experienced. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of women, again, who have had to, you know, had a dream, you know, a woman who, who was training to be a nurse and she was a substitute teacher. And she was trying to do what she could to get her family to move up into the middle class. And she had you know, putting that money aside to, to do that degree. And then the pandemic hit and that dream was done because she had to homeschool her kid. And so, you know, that to me is like so many of the stories I hear about about opportunities and dreams deferred, you know, so many women I talked to lost their job because of automation, right? We know in this pandemic twice as many women's jobs were automated than men because they were in jobs that were not pandemic proof, mm. like retail and education. And, you know, services, more, which just disappeared. They're not coming back. And, you know, so they are every day out there. They need new skills. They can't afford them. There's no kind of plan in place about what we're going to do. And, and, and they're desperate. So it's just, you know, there are so many women. And when we started this pandemic, again, 51% of the labor force was female. and And now it's it's again, I think women are having to make unconscionable choices like every single day. And it's gut-wrenching.
1: Whose ear do you have right now?
0: <laughs> Look, I think that we are just, you know, March Plan for Moms is just out there just constantly drumming this conversation. I think that we have the ear of mothers and that's the ear I want to have. You know, I'm just trying to take moms from, from rage to hope. The thing is, we are so tired right now. That we are not like saying to Republicans and Democrats, hey, get it together. Just, you know, pass paid leave. Get, you know, get affordable child care. Make the child tax credit permanent. Like, we need you to do this. We're not showing up. We don't feel like, so many moms have talked to like this playbook. Like, I'm like, all right, take the playbook and organize, you know, a session at your workplace to basically demand your bill of rights. And moms are afraid to do that. And, and so I think it's just like, we don't, fee- for so long, we have trivialized motherhood in this country. We have made moms out to be martyrs that we can't have nice things, that we are so not used to fighting for ourselves. And so it's really about building that muscle for moms, regardless of what party you're in, to say you demand more. Like this country doesn't work if motherhood doesn't work. And so we have an opportunity to do that. I think you saw a little bit of this power when a lot of moms started organizing to get the schools open. And that was the first, it wasn't just for their kids. It was for them too. Mm -hmm. I think the second opportunity that we have is right now in the workplace, because I am just, I shouldn't be surprised, but surprised. You know, I always say like, you know, when millennials were coming to the workforce, we got out the beanbags and the popcorn and we welcomed them. We never did that for moms in the first place. (laughs) Now right? We got a second bite at that apple. And so if we want to bring moms back, the things that they need have always been very clear and just do it, but we are going to have to push it a little bit. And so, you know, I'm trying to get the ear of employers. I'm trying to get the ear of people, you know, policymakers, you know, who can really push this conversation. And I'm trying to build that bravery muscle for moms to say that you deserve this. You're not asking for anything more than what you deserve.
1: When you just mentioned the child care tax credit, what
0: in perpetuity? I mean, I think that the child tax credit should be permanent. Yes. I mean, here's the thing, right? We have a declining birth rate that should frighten everybody. People don't want to have kids anymore because it is way too expensive. And any healthy country needs to have a vibrant birth rate. And so when I you know, we did a, we released a letter to the White House last week about, you know, 50 moms about what what the child tax credit means to them, you know, and that three hundred dollars a month you know, is helping moms buy shoes for their kids, mm-hmm. you know, buy winter coats for the kids, help them get a new skill, put groceries on the table like that. Three hundred dollars is actually providing some amount of support for parents that they desperately need right now. And, and they'll get it be- through
1: December. Do you think? Do you think it should go on past? Like how? how you, you I think, think it, it goes you
0: know, forever. I think I do because I think it's it's one of the things that we're really seeing is is working. Like again, like when the pandemic hit, the thing that moms needed was cash, yeah. and it, you know that little bit of support that 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 folks needed right now. Because listen, the economy has not recovered. Moms have not recovered. And so many of the choices that they're trying they're having to make right now is again because childcare is enormously unaffordable. Yeah.
1: And right? we're looking potentially, and you mentioned this earlier, of the third year where kids school might not be normal. It might yeah. close down a lot, partially open, they'll be in masks, and that means mom's life is not normal either. So yeah, I mean like when you think about it, three years, three school years right. impacted by this.
0: Um in, in, in- and our kids are broken. Listen, you know my son; like he eats a shirt because <laughs> he's anxious. And I laugh. At you know what I'm saying? Like I think that our kids have been broken by this process. They act resilient, and I think every mom you you choose between your kid and you, you're you're picking your kid. Yeah. And so you're gonna feel like I got to be around more. I got to reduce my hours. I'm not gonna build that business. I'm not gonna start that company. I'm not gonna you know you're not gonna do things be- for your kids in this moment. And it is what it is. And it, but, it, but it's true. And so I think any support that we can give, and I, and I think the three levers are really the government, the private sector, and then society. And so much of the, the conversation that I really want to have with the Marshall Plan and this playbook is really about, and, and listen, for so, for so long I spent my whole life talking about workforce equity. And what this pandemic made me reveal you know, and I'm writing a book about it pay up, is that it's really about the gender equality in the home. If mom if moms are still doing eighty six percent of the labor at home, we're never gonna get to equality in the workforce because I don't have mind share. You know what I mean? To to do that extra thing. Yeah. And especially you know, single moms, right? It all falls on oh, them. All falls on them. And we don't provide enough support for single moms at all.
1: The other, this is, I'll never forget, this was years ago, before I had children. I was working with um, another reporter, and um, I I wasn't a reporter at the time, but I was a producer and I was helping her, and she kept telling me, I don't know, how many times this woman told me that she had to be done at a certain time because she had to take her kids somewhere. I got it. I got it the first time. I admit now I didn't realize how big of a decision or how big of um, an ask that was for her. All I knew, I was like rolling my eyes. I'm like, I heard you the first time. I carved out plenty of time. You're able to take your kids somewhere. But it's only since I had children that I was able to really put myself in her shoes and say, wow, she must have been so adamant that I listened to her because she probably dealt with so many younger women, women, so many men who just wouldn't – she'd say it and they didn't get it. They didn't get how important it was for her to be able to take her kid wherever, wherever that kid had to go. Um, and I kind of felt guilty. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's a big problem. There's so many millennials. You were talking about millennials before in, in the workforce. They just don't
0: get it. <laughs> but you know what's wild is I actually think they're starting to. And I think the biggest opportunity of this playbook is that it's written for moms. But the the reception that we've gotten from, from young millennials, men and women, who say, yep, me too. Like, yeah, I look at you and I'm like, I don't want to do that. And so if I'm gonna have a shot at being a parent, I need things fixed. That's true. And so, and I think it's the same thing for men, you know, who are like, oh yep, I I have literally lived in the house with my wife. I've seen everything <laughs> and it's not fair. And so I actually think we have a moment for real allyship uh, in, in a way that we never have before. And we gotta take advantage of that because I, I do think that we all should be frightened by, the declining birth rates and the fact that I mean, when you talk to Melia's like asking "Do you want to have a kid?" They're like, "No, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't like. I don't like watching you. Like, I don't want to go through that."
1: Oh man. Yeah, we're not really helping them with this conversation right now either. No, joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, no, but it, it it's true. And I and I've had you know, I work with a lot of younger women, and and the the comments that they make are are interesting. And I usually say my my same response is, "It all works out." You ju- it just it just does. You'll be fine. But yeah, it's scary. And I think they're scared watching me when I go in the closet and I pump. I do one side. I'm lopsided. And then in my next break, I pump the other side. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's yeah. how it works. Or you can do it while you're driving. you ever see a mom pump while she's driving? Oh,
0: I pump. I pumped on Amtrak. I pumped in place. By the way, I didn't even care at some point. I was just like, you know what? Like, you're not going to provide me like a place to do it. I'm just going to do it
1: here. <laughs> I know. Sorry to everybody we offend in quotes by this, but it kind of has to be done. Our children have to eat. Um, I I I mean, there's so much I want to talk about with you. I just I really hope we've hit this inflection point in society. And because of the need for for good workers right now, that we can have these conversations and that things start to change. This is the time. It's right now.
0: You know what I think is just really powerful too, and this is what we've seen at Marshall Plan, is that motherhood is a a trans-political issue. What I mean by that, it transcends politics. Regardless of who you are and what you believe, you know that you've gotten screwed. And you are not going to like do this again. And so I just think that there's an enormous opportunity to organize and to build this coalition uh, and to get this stuff done. And And that's what we're doing.
1: And you know who might help us the most? other dads that work because I can't tell you how many men come up to me and say, I know what you're doing. I know what you're going through because my wife is doing it too now. And Mm -hmm. they're, they kind of tweak how they approach or help you because they've seen it in their own lives. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, when I launched Marshall Plan for Mom, my my first three funders were men. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and we're like, "Yep, I had a single mom, you know, I saw her struggle. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that this is, the thing is, is that, you know, for so long, I think that we just thought that mo- mom issues were trivial and that we just haven't spent the amount of time that we needed to spend working on it, fixing it. Cause it's always been broken in this country. You know, so many women from across the globe say to I me, mean, we feel the most sorry for American women, Oh you know, man. The hardest for you all. And they're right. And so, but I do think we are at this inflection point. I'm excited and I'm hopeful. I think we just have to continue to push, again, the state, the private sector and culture to make this change.
1: Amen. So good to speak with you.
0: Good luck with with
1: everything that you're doing and keep in touch.
0: We will. Thank you.